One of the things I think is very hard to do consistently is to maintain a spirit of service. Spirit of service. The reason it's so difficult, because in the process of serving others, we end up discouraged, frustrated, and quitting when we no longer get the appreciation we think we deserve. In fact, Vance Havner put it this way. He said, church members too often expect service and never think of giving it. If a church is to get this one right, it will reach more people than it can imagine. It will always make an impact in the community. It will always make an impact in their family. We've looked at three of the five areas of the church done right, and today's, I believe, is what I deem many times the one that causes many in the church absolute frustration. It causes confusion, bitterness, resentment, and at times utter depression. Because serving is not always easy. In fact, what we looked at so far is the church is to be Christ-centered. We've looked at the fact that the church needs to be repentant. Number three, we looked at the church is to be accountable. And today we're going to be looking at number four, the church is to be serving. Serving. We'll be looking at three things specifically when it comes to service. Number one, the reason. Number two, the call. And number three, the limitations. So number one, the reason. I mean, this shouldn't shock any of us, and it shouldn't be up for any discussion, that many of us lack in our attempt to serve because we don't have the right reason or purpose. In fact, our reason to serve and should always be this reason, it's Christ. He is the reason we do what we do. In fact, in Mark chapter 10, look at what it says, verses 42 through 44. But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus is saying to his disciples earlier in this chapter, you have it wrong. In fact, the disciples approached Jesus and said, can I get the best spot in heaven, if you will? Can I have the best spot? Can I sit right next to you? Lord, you know I love you the most. Please let me have the best spot. And Jesus responds to them and says, you've got this all wrong. You've got it all backwards. In fact, I don't think you really understand what you're really asking. Because the kingdom that you are asking to be a part of is inverted to the world. It's not the same thing. It's backwards. To be the greatest, you need to be the least. You need to serve. And your desire to be elevated shows that you don't care to get this right. The reason why so many disciples of Jesus quit serving is because the reason or motivation is off. In fact, it's not him, if they were to be honest. 
Jesus served to the point of giving his life for those around him. We're upset because somebody didn't say they thank you for something we did. Disciples of Jesus have served for many reasons. This is not an all-exhaustive list, but we're going to go through some of these. One of the reasons why a lot of people serve is recognition. Recognition. Everyone wants and needs a thank you. I think that's appropriate. But the line gets blurry when we serve and stop only when others stop telling us thank you or recognizing what we've done. Another reason why people, and particularly disciples of Jesus, have served is because of the benefits of serving Christ. You see, many will serve for the benefits it provides for them. As soon as the benefits go away, they stop serving. Whether it's a financial benefit, relational benefit, an emotional benefit. You see, we feel an emotional need by doing because by doing, some of us, we find our identity. That's one of the dangers in serving for the wrong reason. Some serve, and this is one that maybe you've experienced a time or two, I know I have, personal guilt. Some serve because of personal guilt. Because we've sinned or had some horrible past week, we feel we have to do something to kind of alleviate that guilt trip we're on. We've got to serve others so that we can undo what was wrong. As if God is kind of keeping score on this one, that's the only reason I should serve. Some people serve out of convenience. I mean, it's kind of nice I get to serve in this capacity and my kids will be benefited, people will like me more, I can hide behind my personal struggles in life by serving. So people serve just for convenience. All of these can be perks to serving, but they're not what should be the reason. And sadly, what happens is the benefits of serving become the reason we serve. The things you do on this earth as a follower of Jesus Christ are really done for him, so you should put your heart into it completely, believer. You should go all in if you're serving Christ. Why should you go all in? Because he paid for you with his life. Colossians 3, 23 through 24, look at what it says. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. The context of these verses is in reference to serving actually earlier in the chapter in the home. And at your workplace. All these things that you do, you do because Jesus matters and you are to serve Him. Let's look at the second point here the call. The reason we serve is Christ, the call itself comes from Him. And the means by which He calls us is His Word. You see, anything apart from the Word of God will not be a call from God. One of the reasons why a lot of Christians get service wrong is that they neglect the Bible but then wonder why their service matters nowhere. Philippians 2, 1-4 
as an exhortation for all of us. It says this, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in loneliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Look, believer, at the end of the day, God wants you to take care of yourself. He does. But he also wants to have you pay attention to the needs around you. Don't serve with a selfish ambition. Doing something just to get something back. Ultimately, not doing it for Christ is not doing it for the right reason. And it turns into a selfish ambition. What's great about this text in Philippians is that Paul is encouraging the church at Philippi to be in this together. To have the same mindset, putting others above themselves. Putting others above yourself does not mean that you don't receive help from others when you need it yourself. There's, there's this false humility that ends up in the church sometimes, where those that serve don't ever want to be served. They refuse it outright. That's not what God is saying here. In fact, on your account and my account, when we serve, Scripture tells us the opposite will actually happen there will be somebody that comes along and serves us as well. That's God's paradigm. In fact, when someone loses a family member or someone close to them, it's especially important that we come alongside and do what we can to help. We should come alongside them and serve them. What I said earlier is important. What Scripture clearly tells us is that when we serve, it does not mean that we don't get served as well. In fact... Look at this text in Proverbs 11.25. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. Let me tell you, believer, one of the most practical things that I've seen in my own life. I've noticed that in my low points, when someone came along and served me, couldn't help when I saw them going through something to go back and serve them. You find out who really matters to you in life when you're at your lowest point. You know what's tragic? Jesus had nobody around when he was at his lowest point. Oh, they were around, but they weren't really present. What's devastating is that Jesus still served regardless of that. He cared. What's devastating is for us to even have the sense of pride that we deserved more than our Lord and Master Jesus. In Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 18, look at what it says. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. 
Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Here's an important one for today's day. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, sometimes it's not, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. I especially want you to go back and look at the phrase, not lagging in diligence. One of the things that happens most frequently when we serve is that we either stop serving altogether, or what's probably more frequent before that occurs is we kind of tone down our service, and we don't have the same fervent spirit that we had before. We decide, oh, it's getting too difficult. This is too much for me to do. In other words, we become lazy. We lack diligence. It's very easy to slack in service. You've done it, I've done it. You start passionate to get some project done, and that project just hasn't gotten finished yet. And why is that? Certain things came up. And that became the excuse. And sometimes it's a valid excuse. But what happens is we find another one, and then another one. And before we know it, we didn't finish the thing we set out to do. So many start off passionate about serving God and others, and they burn out a lazy servant of his who's no longer work, working diligently for his master. You can't change others that you serve. In fact, this text says as much as depends on you, believer. There's only so much you can do on your end. Here's what you don't do, and this is not at all what the text of Scripture says to do. Give up. Throw in the towel. Don't worry about it. Bail on everybody around that disagrees with you. Forget serving others. After all, their marriage isn't as good as mine. After all, their family's not as well off. That's not the reason that you and I should ever stop serving somebody. In fact, Jesus served his enemies. He served those around him that despised him. It's a shame. We've all done it, neglected to serve where God wanted us to continue. In fact, sadly, most of the service that we've accomplished for the Lord, if we were to go digging deep, we've seen that we have not had the same passionate, fervent spirit that we had in the beginning. It's one of the reasons why the Christian life isn't such a nice, easy move up. A few steps forward, many steps back. We regain ground again, and then we go back again.
See, the problem is when we serve, we'll say things like this. Don't they see what I'm doing here? I mean, is anybody paying attention to what I'm doing? I've done everything I can to help them, and this is what I get? Don't tell me you've never had that attitude. These are real hurts, but I want you to go back to this text as it starts off by saying you need to love people genuinely. Ask yourself, do you love people for the right reason? Do you love those that are apart from the faith that are close to you genuinely? Those that hurt your heart more than others. Are you genuinely, passionately serving God with an enthusiasm that God expects? When you see a need that someone else has, are you urgent enough to say, I want to go help that person out? You see, one of the things that people don't need, as far as service goes, you can be passionate and, and available to serve in any capacity God calls you to. But what some people don't need from you when they're going through a hard time is you blasting them with a bunch of Bible verses and then walking away. Some people need a simple sit-down where you be quiet and just listen to them cry. Let them cry. And when, you, when they finish, you can pray for them. They don't need verses on God's sovereignty when they've lost a loved one. At least not right away. Maybe some do. But I'm telling you, that's not the instant comfort every time. If you're someone like me who wonders, how can I actually serve? I want to know what are these practical areas that you are talking about, Pastor Roman. Well, I'm going, to, I'm going to start with one that should be very obvious to all of us. Number one, start with your family. Before you serve anyone else, start with those that God has placed in your family. In fact, one thing to know is Jesus cares for his own children in a different manner than he cares for the rest of the world. Take your cue from him. When people quote verses like John 3.16, what they don't quote is other verses in the same book of John that says, I love, I lay down my life for the sheep. There's a different love that Jesus has for his own. One of the saddest things is that Christians bypass the responsibility in the home to go serve someone else. Number two, reach out to a person in need. And there are many people around you with many needs. Use any means necessary at your disposal to help that person out. Of course, the, probably the most common method would be to meet with them in person. And during this time, it might not be so easy. But use another method if you have it available to you. Call them on the phone. Use Zoom. FaceTime. Whatever method that you can to reach out and help somebody, do it. Send them something in the mail. Let them know that you're there. What's another way that you can serve? Well, you can volunteer at the Springfield Rescue Mission. 
I am sure they will use your help. I'm sure if you asked, they would give you many ways you could serve this local community. I don't know if you're aware of this, believer. There are many people in this city that are in serious, serious trouble. And there's a reason we support that ministry. Because we believe it's absolutely necessary for our community. Another thing that you can do is serve in your local church. Let me, let me preface this by saying, if you're not serving in your family well, I don't want you serving in the church. I know it sounds like a very pointed statement there. But I think a church member that serves the church but does not serve the family will not do well in the church. Because let me give you a hint. The church is family. The church is family. There's nothing more encouraging to a pastor than when people in the church ask how they can serve that church. That is so much better than me giving you a list and go pick something. I hate project lists. I'm sorry. Some of you love them. I hate them. Here's 25 projects. How many have we gotten done? One. 24 more. Don't buy into the excuses, believer. And I know we all do, right? I just don't have the time. That's a big one, right? I just don't have the time. I'm very busy. My favorite statement that people make is I'm very busy, and I look at, look at them and I go, you realize that other person that's serving in the church and doing this? It's pretty busy too. In fact, if I was to match up their schedule and your Netflix watching, I think they win. Sorry. You may not have a lot of time, but what areas are you wasting your time in currently? a lot to serving God. Here's another one, very common excuse. I don't know what I should do. Well, here's my question. Have you asked? Man, if people asked that more frequently than rather than going around saying, I don't know what to do, we might get some things done. Here's a big one that I really find troubling and hard sometimes when I hear it from people. It breaks my heart when I hear this one. It's an excuse, but I know why people say it. They don't need me. They don't need me. It's an assumption that many times is false because we don't realize the opportunities available and how others really are going to be benefited by our service for Christ. So we've looked at the reason and the call. But as we finish, we do need to actually... Understand something, and I think this is something that's not mentioned when texts of Scripture are mentioned regarding serving, that there are limitations to service. Okay, Number three, the limitations. In fact, (laughs) one of the things that I find most difficult probably in preaching all of this is that some people will misunderstand what I'm saying to the point of getting abused. They're going to get abused. There are most definitely limitations in your service for Christ. And you and I need to be aware of them. Because if we don't make sure that we're aware of our limitations, we're going to do some real serious damage. So what's the first area, if you will, of limitation? Number one, serve in the ways that you are gifted. (laughs) Yes, this is a big one. 
Serve in the ways that you are gifted. Make sure you're picking an area that you're gifted in that area. You have a horrible singing voice. Do not sing. Period. Don't even try out. You might be fine in the shower, but at church may not be the best place. 1 Peter 4, verses 10 through 11. I'm actually going to read this out of the New Living Translation. I love the way they put this. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Remember that fervent spirit. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Look, here's the thing. God's not looking for us to live in confusion about how we should serve. We need to be aware of the areas that we're gifted spiritually to serve in the local body of believers. This list of spiritual gifts is many times uh, probably listed out a little bit different. But if you want to kind of um, go through some of this on your own, I promise you this list isn't original with me. I would recommend to you The Spirit-Filled Life, Discovering the Joy of Surrendering to the Holy Spirit by Charles Stanley. It's an excellent book on this. And also check out uh, the website, gotquestions.org. They have a lot of good insight on this. So here are a few different spiritual gifts, if you will, that are in the church. They're not all-inclusive. I think there are other things that are mentioned throughout. Uh, but this really gives us kind of a good start. Uh, one of them is prophecy. The Greek word translated prophecy means a speaking forth. According to the Greek lexicon, the word refers to discourse emanating from divine inspiration and declaring the purposes of God, whether by reproving and admonishing the wicked or comforting the afflicted or revealing things hidden, and especially especially in the Old, Old Testament, foretelling of future events. To prophesy is to declare the divine will to interpret the purposes of God, to make know the truth of God in a way to influence others around you. Serving. Serving is actually mentioned. It's also referred to as ministering. It's where we get our word deacon from. It means service of any kind, practical need that's needed, and it's helped by this person. Teaching. This gift implies the analysis and proclamation of the Word of God. A teacher is one who has the ability to clearly instruct and communicate knowledge, specifically the doctrines of the faith. Another gift is exhortation or encouragement. This gift is evident in those who constantly want to lift others up to walk faithfully with Christ. They're the ones that want others to understand that this area that needs correction, they need to pay attention to because God wants more from them in the life. Others have the gift of giving. Gifted givers are those who joyfully share with what they have with others whether it's financial, material, or even of their personal time, they are willing at all times to give up what is theirs. The giver is concerned for the needs of others and always seeks opportunities to share what God has given to them with others. Leadership. The gifted leader is one who rules, presides over, has management of other people in the church. 
The word literally means guide and carries over the idea of one who steers a ship in the right direction. One with the gift of leadership rules with wisdom and grace and exhibits the fruit of the Spirit in his life by example. Mercy. It's very closely linked to the gift of encouragement. The gift of mercy is obvious to those who are compassionate, to those around them. They notice those that are in distress and hurting, and they always rush to rescue. They show sympathy and sensitivity with the desire to lessen the suffering of any person that's going through something difficult in their lives. Word of wisdom. In fact, this gift is described as the word of wisdom, which indicates that's one of the speaking gifts. This gift describes someone who can understand and speak forth biblical truths in a way that skillfully is able to be applied in life. You've met people like this. They have great practical wisdom that is geared towards what Scripture says. Word of knowledge. This is another speaking gift that involves understanding truth with insight that only comes by revelation of the Word of God. Those with the gift of knowledge understand the deep things of God and the mysteries of His Word. These are people that truly dig deep into the Word of God. Faith. All of us possess a measure of faith, as Scripture says. But some have a unique gift of faith. Meaning that in the impossible, they always believe and trust God for that. In fact, what's interesting is the spiritual gift of faith is exhibited by one who's strong and has an unshakable faith in God, no matter what the circumstance brings. They have a confidence in God, His Word, and His promises, and the power of prayer to effect miracles. The gift of healing is not one that's really as prevalent today because we don't have the opportunity that they had in the apostolic era. It's the ability to actually produce miraculous things in the healing of others. And, and as one commentator makes it, if we had the gift of healing today as they did back then, hospitals and morgues would be full of these gifted people emptying beds and coffins everywhere. So I don't want you to be confused by this list, believer. I want you to really think through how God wants you to serve. But realize that the area that you may think you need to serve and you are gifted may not be the area God wants you to serve. Here's another thing that's important. If you're willing to serve the Lord in the local church, there's always an area that God can use you because he promises that each one of us has a place in his body. Some of us have more than one gift, but each one has at least one. Not every gift is realized right away. In fact, some of you didn't discover how you serve in the church until some time past. I don't think the first thing that was on Max's mind when he came to this church is that he'd be leading youth group. At least, I don't believe so. But as time goes on, God helps and d develops these gifts that you have. Before you know it, you've got a full team of people that are willing to work together for the advancement of the kingdom. There are limitations in the way that you serve because some things that you are not gifted in, you should not do. If your gift is not encouragement, maybe signing up to send a little card to somebody in need is not your thing, okay? 
maybe that would be the thing to stay away from. Because you might be a little harsh in your response or your card that you send out to somebody. Probably need somebody different to send that out. Another limitation. Serve apart from sin. Matthew 6, 24. Jesus says this, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, or possessions, money. Galatians 5, 13-14 says this, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You see, you and I, were free in Christ. But that freedom is not to be used in order to go ahead and sin while we serve him. One dangerous thing that you and I need to be aware of is that we, if we assume that just because we're serving, we won't fall into sin, we are very wrong about that mindset. Your wicked heart and mind can start well, but then allow for sin to creep in in our service to God and others. One thing that's happened too often in the church is the neglect of the, the things in the Word of God, and particularly a walk with God while serving God, ends in disaster. It ends in disaster. A man or woman wanting to serve others in the church while at the same time neglecting to take care of their own family is a walking contradiction. You and I not... We ought not want to serve others so we can somehow take advantage of them. This is why it's important that we serve in the way that God would want for us and not overextend ourselves to the point of making it easy to fall into sin. Listen, believer, just because you do a lot of things does not mean that's good for you or for others around you. There are limitations and you need to be aware of them. The most prone we are to sin, as we mentioned the other week, is when we're alone. And here's another one that adds to that, when you're exhausted and tired. Some of you try to serve so much that you end up falling in sin. There are three typical responses when it comes to serving in the church. Three typical responses. I mean, you could probably break it down into some more, but there, here are the three main ones. Number one, the go-getter, Okay. This is the person they serve in any way possible. If there's a task, they're there, right? They're the ones, they many times get burnt out because they're doing too much, serving in ways that they're not gifted and even possibly for the wrong reason when we're done. Look, some of you are go-getters. You want to get things done. I get it. I'm on your team. But this is one of the things that we need to be careful of and pay attention to. When you try to do too much, you're going to burn out and you're going to ruin everything you actually started. Some of you are like, I know my limitations. That's why I don't even start anything at all. Well, you're the second group, the neglector. All right? You're the neglector. You're the one that tends to only serve when it benefits them and suits their schedule. When there's a benefit for them, that's when they'll serve or when they have just enough time, which is never. 
The neglectors looked at, look at the go-getters in the same way that go-getters look at neglectors. Man, you're getting this all messed up. The go-getters are like, come on, let's go. Neglectors are like, you're doing too much. I'm not even going to start. I'm not going to even finish. Well, the third group is the one that gets it right. It's what I call the balancer. Okay? This is the person that knows what they can get done and what they can't get done. They serve in ways they can, and when there's a need, they do their best to meet that in accordance to what God has gifted them. Listen, if you're not someone that understands how electronics works, we're not going to bring you up to the soundboard and have you work on something. Like, that would not be a good place for you to work. The balancer, they don't neglect to jump on a task, but they make sure they don't overcommit before they start. Listen, I, I understand that sometimes serving in the church becomes a guilt trip for some. And we guilt trip those that do a lot. We guilt trip those that do nothing at all. And those that are doing some. The reality is, one of these categories is you and me. And I, I dare say some of us have swung in different categories throughout our walk with God. In fact, I've seen people that truly are the go-getters that completely went down to the neglectors. Oh yeah, I'm going to do this, Pastor Roman. Can't wait to get out and do this. And two weeks later, it's gone. No enthusiasm, case closed. You don't even know they quit, but they did. And I've also seen people that God convicts because they have been neglecting to serve, and they finally balanced it out. And they realize, hey, you know what? I might not be able to do everything, but I can do this right here. I can do this one task. All of us have moved between those responses. So which one are you today? Think about it. You're the go-getter, the neglector, or you actually have a balance. Only you can answer that with God. The other limitation, the last limitation, is that you have to serve with purpose. Galatians 6.10 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. You should serve anyone that God calls you to serve. But realize that there's a special bond that you have with other followers of Christ. What makes the church unique is that we're taught to love our enemies, but not at the expense of loving our brother in Christ. What's really sad to the heart of God is when people want to reach others for the kingdom. They want others to know Christ while they're bashing somebody that's a brother or sister in Christ. You can't bring people into the kingdom while at the same time telling people that those that you're, are in your spiritual family are worthless. That is a walking contradiction to the world. Now, are there false doctrines that need to be called out in the church? Absolutely. We're not talking about that. We're talking about those personal relationships that you have with people in the church that you know you ought to have right 
and we, you and I try to go reach somebody else outside the faith, while at the same time ignoring those that we ought to make things right with. Believers bash others in their local congregation and neglect to help them while at the same time trying to serve somebody outside that church in order to win them to Christ. It's not how it's done. That's just not how it's done. In serving others, it does not mean enabling others, believer. It's a very touchy subject, and I know some of you have probably found this to be a difficult thing to wait, to wake, you know, wander through, if you will, because you've seen it. You've seen people that have been served, and ultimately what ended up happening is they got unable to do something that they shouldn't have done. There are limitations to service. In fact, and I want you to read this later on on your own, I'm just going to kind of glance over a few things here in 1 Timothy 5, 3 through 16. Take care of any widow who has no one else to take care of her, but if she has children or grandchildren, their first responsibility is to show godliness at home and repay their parents by taking care of them. Believer, listen, I'm not going to go through the rest of this chapter right now as we're out of time. The church's responsibility does not overtake the family's responsibility in the home. In fact, what he says later on in the chapter, which is fascinating that a lot of people miss, if you have a young widow, a younger lady in the church, you are, are not to take care of them as you take care of an older woman who has no family members left. God is balanced in his approach, and what happens is the church ends up enabling certain behaviors in the church that ought not be because they're helping people that don't need the help in that area. There are limitations to our service, believer. You don't just serve for the sake of serving. You pay attention to the need, and if there's no real need there, you don't help that. There are many people that can put on the, a wonderful front as to how desperately they need something from somebody. And sadly, too many Christians have been stupid enough to give in to that. And we have lacked common sense and, frankly, biblical practicality in that area. Not everyone that's out for some dough needs your help. And not everyone should you go help. There are limitations to this. Sometimes the best way to serve somebody is to give them a reality check of where they're at. In fact, Jesus did this as we close. In Mark 8, 11 through 12, look at what he tells the Pharisees who demanded a sign from him. In case you're thinking, man, Pastor Romy, you're a little off on this one. I'm not. I'm trying to follow what Jesus actually does. In fact, the Pharisees are demanding a sign from him after he fed the multitude with food. The Pharisees came out and began to dispute with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven, testing him. But he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. Don't fall for the guilt trip, believer. Sometimes all it is is a plain guilt trip. These Pharisees didn't really want to know more about Jesus. They already knew who he was. They didn't want to accept that he was God. And you don't need to prove your Christianity to somebody that wants to enable you by saying, if you don't help me out, you're really not a Christian. Don't buy that garbage. That is dangerous, and it's prevalent in the church today. I would never demand from you to give to the church in order for you to be considered a Christian. 
It's disgusting. That doesn't belong in this church. So in closing, how's your service? How's your service? You know, if you and I waited tables at a restaurant, someone came out to fill out a survey, how would they rate us? How would God rate us? If God were to fill out about our service to him, what would he say? In fact, the word serve is in connection to waiting on tables, interestingly enough. So how's your service, believer? Be honest. How is it? Are you doing it for the right reason? Is it about Jesus? Or is it about you? Have you answered the call to serve? Or have you just kind of brushed it off, I'll eventually get to serving? Do you have some limitations you may not have considered in serving? We all have them. I know you might think you're Superman, Superwoman. We all have limitations. And in your service, have you been possibly enabling somebody? Maybe you've been serving the wrong people and actually hurting them rather than helping them. How we serve matters because of who we serve, believer. If we as a church took this seriously enough to admit that we're off in these areas, there's no telling what God could do in our church if we took service seriously as he does. No small act of service goes unnoticed if it's done for the right reason, believer. I just want to finish with what D.L. Moody says about this. A good many are kept out of the service of Christ, deprived of the luxury of working for God, because they're trying to do some great thing. Let us be willing to do little things, and let us remember that nothing is small in which God 